welcome to Engagement Express, the new podcast series for HR engagement and communication professionals. I'm really excited to host this show and I'll be giving you inspiration and tips on how to increase engagement in your organization. My name is Katie Siche and I'm an internal communications consultant who's worked with many well-known global brands to support their colleague engagement strategies. Join me every fortnight to hear more about the things you should be reviewing and doing regularly to increase engagement. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Advita Patel, a chartered PR practitioner who helps people to gain confidence and take the leap so they can revolutionize the way they communicate in their business. Advita is also the director of Comms Rebel, a co-founder of A Leader Like Me and a board director for CIPR. She has a wealth of experience within the internal communications sector and has worked in areas such as employee engagement, digital, change and transformational comms. Hi Advita, how are you? I'm great, Kate. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you. I'm so thrilled. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I'm very thrilled to have you on my podcast. And thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest. Thank you for asking me. I'm really, really pleased to be here. So I know you've talked about imposter syndrome before, particularly in regards to being internal communicator. Where do you feel the issue is with imposter syndrome, particularly in relation to internal communications and how perhaps has that manifested itself in your personal, professional life, should I say? Imposter syndrome is something that I have had to deal with, I would say, all my kind of career. And to be honest with you, Kate, I didn't actually know what it was. And there's lots of debates around imposter syndrome, whether it's imposter syndrome or whether it's confidence or whether it's self-doubt. And in my view, I've done a lot of research in this and this difference in between all of it. And imposter syndrome, from my research and the people I've spoken to, it does generally happen to people who are in a professional capacity in a career. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you know, a lot of people do struggle with. And this is kind of false interpretation that it only impacts women based on research that took place in the 70s where they thought it was only going to be women but you know a couple of decades later it was quite evident it was more than just women it was men as well mm-hmm. and it is something that impacts quite a few people and I would say and the reason I've recently kind of talked more about it is because since I launched comms rebel mm-hmm. in January I've had quite a few conversations with internal communicators who have struggled with their own imposter in terms of not realizing how to kind of manage it and and the impact it could have on their career Hmm. and I've kind of chatted about my experience and what works for me and what doesn't work for me and then when COVID-19 hit it seems to have catapulted a lot of internal communications professionals into the spotlight Hmm, yeah and you know as well as I know, being in the career of internal comms for as long as you have, you know, with similar kind of years of experience, it's something that a lot of people have been craving to be in the spotlight. And mm. sitting around that table and having the conversations with the senior leadership team and being spoken to at a strategic level, whatever yeah. that means. And all of a sudden, these people have been catapulted into this position. And because so many years, they've not really had that opportunity to shine, I suppose, in some organizations, 
they've kind of lost confidence in themselves and the imposter is kind of saying to them, who do you think you are? Like, why would the chief executive listen to you? Like, what have you got to add to this conversation? Yeah. You know, and, and my imposter can come out with force during these times. Yeah. And to the extent where I've actually named her, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a really What's weird thing to do. Sandy, <laughs> okay. her name's Sandy. <laughs> and it's because I was obsessed with Greece when I was younger. Yeah. There's absolutely no, there's no rhyme or reason why I called her Sandy, to be honest. She wasn't even my favorite character, but yeah. I just kind of resonated with that. She's different enough from me to not be 100% associated to me, if that makes sense. But I acknowledge that she's going to be part of my life for you know forever and I wanted to have and acknowledge that and I think as soon as I started acknowledging that Sandy was going to be one of like an unwanted family guest you know a family member or, or a guest overstays their welcome I realized how I could manage her and I always kind of refer to her in third person and it just helps me cope better and when I'm doing things that I know is going to get Sandy back from her long haul holiday and she's going to interrupt my <laughs> kind of flow yeah I have a conversation with her and I'm like listen Sandy you know we're gonna to have to work together on this because we, we don't want to look idiots so you help me and I'll help you and let's get through this and there are various various techniques that I kind of have you know so I have my powerless songs on Spotify yeah. that I love yeah. listening to that just boost my energy I do the uh, Amy Cuddy. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Amy Cuddy, but she was one of the first women who spoke about the power pose. Mm. And I kind of thought it was all a bit fluffy nonsense, to be totally frank with you when I first read it. But honestly, it works. You know, standing with your shoulders back, your hands on your hips for about two minutes really kind of drives that kind of, you know, your body language just shifts completely yeah. and yeah. it does empower you a little bit more. And the thing that's worked for me the best, I would say, is my acknowledgement folder or happiness folder, sunshine folder, rainbow folder, whatever you want to call it. It's basically an area, a folder on my phone where I save positive acknowledgements and good feedback and things that I've done that I'm really proud of. That kind of gives me the energy and the motivation to let me know that I can do it. So, you know, having these kind of power tools in your box of tricks as an internal communicator working in-house or as an independent practitioner you know whatever you're doing can really help kind of steady your nerves can help you kind of talk and converse with yourself in a really positive way because we can be our biggest kind of critic right yeah so we have to try and do what we can to help ourselves succeed and I don't think we would speak to the way we speak to ourselves sometimes to our best friends. Mm. And that's what, how I kind of remember it. And at internal comms, we can be really guilty and really poor at being really hard on ourselves because, you know, we can be perfectionists. We want things to be 100% spot on. We don't want to look stupid. Nobody wants to look stupid, of course. Mm. And there's sometimes a fear can set in. Yeah. And when your chief executive is texting you, to ask for your advice and they haven't really done that before or you've not had the opportunity to build a relationship with them it can really shake you and your imposter can be like he's not going to listen to you or she's not going to listen to you or they are not going to listen to you you know what are you doing so you need to be prepared for that and you need to make sure that whatever your triggers are you're aware of what it is that you need to kind of get over it quickly basically otherwise it's going to cripple your progression and it's going to cripple your advice giving and it's going to cripple your kind of reputation and credibility at times that's why I'm so passionate I suppose about it because I want to help as many people as I can to kind of address what the barriers are and what the triggers are so they can just move on from it as and when they can 
So I want to talk a bit about Advita Patel because you are killing it right now, literally killing it. You are omnipresent everywhere, just really smashing it to pieces. And it's fantastic to see. I have been connected to you for some time on LinkedIn and through your comms hive network. So it's been fantastic for me personally to see you grow and to see your businesses doing so well and to see you as an individual growing and developing. I'm fascinated that someone like you with this amazing persona, at least on social media, suffers from imposter syndrome. Well, firstly, Kate, thank you so much for saying that. You know, I really appreciate your kind words because it is, you know, when people have said that to me, like, oh, you're, you know, you're, you're everywhere at the moment, you know, you're killing it. And I'm really grateful for that because my imposter kind of says, oh, shut your mouth now. <laughs> <laughs> you're bloody everywhere. Get over it. Yeah. Go on, sit down. Nobody wants to listen to you anymore. You're like going on with yourself. And, <laughs> you know, and she can be a bit cruel, Sandy, at times. And, it does shake my confidence and I think it's so important people do think that I don't have imposter syndrome and and I'm like every single thing that I do like talking gig is like it's easy and it's okay and you know I do have to kind of talk myself into it I mean nowhere near as as bad as it was three four years ago when I first kind of kicked off my public speaking and that was following actually so if you know the people who knew me that long ago I would have like I was one of those individuals that when someone asked me to speak I was like oh no but I know somebody who can yeah <laughs> I can't do that it wasn't until I read a book by a fantastic woman called Shonda Rhimes oh is she the um how to get away she wrote with scandal yes and uh, scandal and, and Grey's scandal. anatomy yeah 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 very um, so woman. she she Yes, very talented. And she wrote a book called The Year of Yes. And Bearing in Mind how it's such a good book, Kate. If you haven't read it, highly, highly recommend it. I'm going to buy it now, now you've recommended it. I actually listened to her on Audible because she narrates it herself. Does she? And I love a book that's narrated by the author because the passion and the enthusiasm comes across in the words. And her book, because I knew she narrated it herself, and I know she's such a good storyteller, it was just an amazing listen when I was driving into work mm. and bearing in mind how you know success is as a screenwriter in America the fact that she dealt with imposter syndrome and struggled with her confidence really like kind of made a difference to me I suppose when I listened to mm. it and she spoke so candidly about her experience and she promised herself that you know she's going to take a whole year saying yes to opportunities mm. as long as it didn't impact her financially or mentally she was going to say yes so the day I finished hearing her story I should say in audible and finished the book, yeah. I think it was a day after actually I got a phone call from a fantastic woman who is a good friend of mine called Simone Roach and Simone is the CEO of a movement in the north of England called Northern Power Women yeah I had been recognized as a future leader for the Northern Power Women, and I was invited to go along to an award ceremony. And on the day of the award ceremony, Simone rings me up, I think it was about 10 o'clock, or she texts me, I can't remember exactly how it happened, I think she rang me actually. And she said, can you come in? And just prior to that, I just wrote talk about winning the award and how I was being quite dismissive of this award and kind of felt a bit embarrassed about it. And it wasn't until one of my mentees had asked me 
about winning the award and how I felt about it that I realized that I was actually quite proud of it and it was my imposter kind of telling me that I wasn't good enough to accept it if that makes sense so Simone had read this blog of mine and it really resonated with her so she rang me and said somebody has dropped out of a speaking at this event and I wondered if you wouldn't mind stepping in her place now (laughs) this event was like with 120 130 women and men from across the north of England, CEOs, managing directors, you know, really kind of like important people. And because I read this book and I promised myself I was going to say yes to opportunities, I was like, yeah, sure. Of course I will. Yeah. No worries. And she's like, oh my God, really? I thought I was going to have to really convince you. I was <laughs> like, no, no, it's fine. I can do this. Yeah. And she's like, okay, brilliant. Well, she rang me at 11. It was two o'clock, the, the thing. So I put the phone down and absolutely freaked out. <laughs> and I remember texting Jenny, you know, Jenny Field. Yes. Um, I'm sure people know who she is. Yeah. Uh, she's a good friend of mine. And also Rachel Miller as well. And I remember saying to both of them, what on earth am I doing? Why am I putting myself through this? I'm freaking out. And honestly, they calmed me down and I listened to my power songs. I had a karaoke session that's another one of my things as well to kind of release the kind of nervous energy and not that I can sing for toffee by the way Kate (laughs) I like to think I'm like channeling in a Whitney Houston a little bit but I'm really not or Beyonce depending on your age and I went along to this event and got on stage and when I was on stage she's like oh by the way we're recording this as well for our podcast (laughs) I was like oh brilliant I know but because I didn't have much time to think about it and I just did it I don't think it was bad and I think Shonda's book really helped me a lot actually yeah and I loved it I loved being on that stage and having you know speaking to the to the folks in the room and put me in you know 100,000 employees in an organization I was absolutely fine I could do the updates and you know but put me on stage in front of strangers talking about myself and my experience that's what was really bothering me about public speaking so that was my first ever public speaking opportunity and since then I've kind of taken every opportunity that's come my way to be honest and I've worked really hard on my brand yeah Uh, and the main reason for that is you know you know as well as I know in PR and comms there are not many women of color who are kind of working in this profession and those who are working in the profession are not being heard or seen in my view Mm -hmm. so my big thing is trying to help inspire at least one person yeah who have the confidence and to beat that inner critic and step up and step out and be seen and encourage them to be in our profession and then my job is done I would say so that's how I kind of got started in this whole kind of being everywhere and annoying I'm sure it's a few people (laughs) no it's you know I'm not going to apologize I love it I think it's a really positive thing and I'm really interested in what you just mentioned about the population of black women of color and men of color in PR and communications profession being quite low. What are your perceptions of engagement in the workplace and how that affects the engagement of employees generally if the comms team is not diverse and doesn't reflect the population of the employees themselves? Well it's the case of what you don't know you don't know right Mm. and if your team is then you're not going to ask those uncomfortable questions or you're not going to recognize that there's a problem in your organization and I think that's the problem in some businesses to be honest when you don't have diversity of color and you don't have different voices around in your team meetings you don't see it and you don't ask the questions and you don't realize that actually 
some of the language that you're using or some of the kind of behaviors you're demonstrating is actually putting people off. I mean, I don't know about you, but before I apply for jobs anywhere, when I did work in-house, I always checked out the, the web page and Glassdoor yeah. reviews. Yeah, thank and you. I kind of Googled to make sure they weren't racist. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> no, nobody was really saying anything, you know. And, and those yeah. are the things that we have to do, right? And this is what I kind of try and explain to people who are really fascinated with. People always say to me, like, oh, I, you know, you're making a mountain out of molehill there a little bit. Are oh, you being a bit sensitive? And I'm really sure that it mean it in that way. I think my white friends in particular get very surprised and shocked when I say things like, before I book a holiday, I check to see what the kind of culture's like in that country, if mm, they're going to accept a brown person. Yeah. You know, and I remember going to America and we were going to South America, a lot of the kind of, not South America, South America, Southern states, I should say. America, America. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the kind of redneck, I don't know if that's the right mm -hmm. thing to say, it's a right PC term, but you know what I mean, that kind of area. Yeah. A lot of people kind of said to us, just be careful, you know, mm -hmm. be very careful. You know, you may be perceived either as Mexican, <laughs> because I've been mistaken for Mexican quite a few times, or, you know, people might think, you know, especially when there's a, a terrorist activity that's happened, people are really, you know, so there are some okay. stupid people out there, Kate, to be honest. Yeah. And, you know, they just judge you on the color of your skin, really, yeah. at the end of the day. And these are the things that we have to think about, right? Being a brown mm -hmm. person externally when you go on holidays and even in an organization, I want to make sure that they have the right policies in place, the right procedures in place as a talent, mm -hmm. you know, what's the kind of board senior directors like? I mean, it's not great. I live in the north of England, mm -hmm. I live in Manchester. You know, the diversity is good. It's a city, but yes. in the organizations, like many organizations, the, the diversity of gender and uh, race is not great. So, you know, you're kind of hard pushed, to be honest, yeah. to find an organization that's balanced. So, but I do like to check just to kind of see what the language they're saying and what the recruitment policy is like just before I apply. And I think if you work in a team, a recruitment team or comms team, you know, that isn't diverse, then it's hard for you, I think, unless you're actively educating yeah. and learning to understand what challenges other people may have that you may not have any experience of and I think that's why it's so important to just to consider what is it in our organization that's putting people off from applying to our workplace and if they are applying then what's stopping them getting further ahead you know and if they are in the organization what's stopping them growing and developing and leading and why they're leaving you know why is our retention so poor mm. those are the kind of questions you need to ask it was actually Harriet Small was no, so fantastic. Harriet. Yeah. yeah you know amazing woman who shared so much around anti-racism and Black Lives Matter and various different kind of pieces that have really educated me in terms of Black Lives Matter. Mm. But one thing she said to me was the Guinness culture, which is something I've never really come across. Have you ever come across a Guinness culture? Not that particular term, no. So, you know, the Guinness culture, she's explained to me that the Guinness culture is like, you know, the top of a Guinness is all white and the underneath ah. is all black. Oh, yeah. And that's, you know, and that, <laughs> yeah, and that really resonated. I was like, oh, my gosh. Well, you know, so an organization like where your operational factory workers and your frontline staff, there's a lot of black, Asian, minority, ethnic people. But the higher you go, that when you see the reflection in the mm -hmm. senior leadership team, there's a problem, right? Exactly. And I'm not talking about those organizations that work in very, very remote places where the population is majority white and the percentage is not great. And I understand it can be difficult when it's a hands-on job, you know, to attract a diverse crowd. But mm. when you work in a city or a town that's got a diverse population, you need to look at the percentage of your kind of customer base and also the population that you live in and your yeah. workforce. 
and see if the numbers align and if not why not and that's where those kind of uncomfortable conversations have to happen with your leaders and with yourselves as well as a comms team i think it has to be a deliberate approach to recruit a more diverse employee base and it has to be an integral part of hr practice talent acquisition communications marketing branding etc it has to be a, a kind of a holistic approach if it's going to work you know you can't simply isolate these things and, and hope for the best i think it has to be quite strategic and deliberate is the best word i can use to describe it so you know i'm inclined yeah. to agree with you and i wanted to go back to something you spoke about earlier at the start of our conversation where you mentioned in relation to imposter syndrome that now internal communicators with the emergence of COVID-19 have now found themselves in a position of power which they're not particularly used to and you know perhaps before they have been more focused on tactics and execution rather than strategic planning. How do you feel that those two elements of the internal communicators role marry up so you know the division of tactics versus strategic planning and what the weight of each of those should be because I often have conversations with organizations when I've gone for interview and you know a lot of them have said well you're looking at the majority of execution we don't do strategy you're not going to be doing any strategy it's just going to be getting your hands dirty rolling your sleeves up if I had a pound for every time I heard that rolling your sleeves up <laughs> you know i'd be a rich woman so what are your thoughts on that because i always find that quite an interesting quandary yeah i mean well don't get me wrong you know i think we've got a long way to go before people stop saying to us it's it, the role involves you rolling your sleeves up <laughs> and, and getting involved in the nitty-gritty of comms right yeah. you know let's not kid ourselves kate we're yeah we're not there yet in terms of resources and budget and yeah. having a luxury of having a team you know to do that so regardless of your seniority in an organization, you know, you will often have to roll your sleeves up and get involved in the kind of the tactics of it all. But where my kind of pushback, I suppose, a little bit when people say things like we're not strategic, I don't know about you, but I'm not the biggest fan of the word strategic because it's mm. a bit of a non-word, right? Word, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a word that people kind of throw in when they want to sound important. I always kind of think to yeah, myself, it's problematic. Anyway, it's very problematic. And I think a lot of people kind of get either scared off from it or use it as an excuse. Mm. It's basically not plaid. It's basically, you know, you know, when we talk about strategic, I always kind of say to when people say to me, I'm sorry, that we're not very strategic and it's all about getting into it and you're hitting the ground running and that kind of stuff. I'm like, you know, you need to understand where the business is going in the future mm -hmm. and the objectives of that business and what the priorities are. And basically, how are they making the money? You know, whether you're working in a charity sector or public services or whatever. It is all down to kind of the monetary stuff of things, right? Either you're cost saving or making sure you're investing in the right way or whatever. And if there's a comms function, you're not aligned to those objectives of that business mm. and you're kind of, you know, knee jerking here, there and everywhere and you're sending out comms that don't align to anything. You do need to kind of question what value are you bringing to that business? Yeah. And how are you actually having that impact? Because if you keep, doing things that are not bringing value mm. they're always going to think that you are just there to kind of make things look nice yeah you know send out the odd 
email and ghost write for the CEO and do mm-hmm. the very tactical things. But And this is why, you know, my other passion, aside from imposter syndrome, is measurement. Yeah. And for me, measurement is going to be kind of a pillar or strategy, if you want to call it that, um, to show your worth yeah. in the business and to demonstrate the impact you are actually having. And I do get quite a lot of pushback from some comms folks who are maybe a bit scared of measurement because it mm-hmm. may mean they're putting themselves under that spotlight. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you're then, you know, if you're measuring and it's demonstrating that actually comms isn't having an impact, then you're telling your senior leadership team this. What does that mean for you? And it's a scary thing. You know, sometimes leaders don't want to measure because they are scared or worried or are not interested in some cases about what people are saying or thinking. But it's important if you want a business to succeed and you want to make sure that you are actually adding some value and you want to be taken seriously as a function and, you know, and stop those ad hoc requests coming to your desk. You know, one, the first part is you know, get yourself a robust communication strategy that aligns with the business objective of your organization yeah. and demonstrate how yeah. you are influencing those business objectives and by doing and showing that value by linking it to a measure. And not only outputs, but also the outcomes. You know, what difference are you actually making to the individuals in the business by doing certain campaigns or, you know, introducing a new channel in your leadership team out and about doing visibility walks or visibility check-ins or whatever you want to kind of do. All of that has a measure attached to it, right? And you need to show that it's driven by the comms function. This is the impact you're actually having. And if you can show that and demonstrate that, then... I think your leaders will start sitting up in their chair, realizing, oh, actually, this function needs a bit of investment. We need to take it a bit seriously because we're lucky as a function. And this is what I love about internal communications is that we have an umbrella view. We talk to people right on the front line and the operations of the business. So business acumen is a big one as well. So you need to understand the business. You need to understand the industry. You know, if you want to have those, you need to speak the language of your leaders to get them to buy into what you're saying. Because if you are just seen as just the comms person and sprinkling your magic dust on this, you know, setting up work, a bed work your magic, work your magic, you know, and all that kind of jazz, mm. you're not going to be taken seriously. So it's, it, this is, again, links in a little bit with imposter syndrome, links in a little bit around the self-doubt and inner critic. You need to be able to have these courageous conversations, uncomfortable conversations sometimes with your leaders to say, look, we need to align. I can't do this because it doesn't align with the business objective. And can you explain to me how you believe me sending out an anniversary, such as someone's anniversary, Patty's 50th birthday, is going to have any impact on the business? I'm not saying those kind of things are not important, but is yeah. actually things like that? Probably not. So yeah, so it's definitely important to kind of look at your measures, look at your business, understand the business acumen, you know, the pest analysis, the SWOT analysis, stakeholder analysis, these kind of models and frameworks are really, really helpful. And if you don't understand them, then my advice is to go and learn because this is going to help you in the long run in the organization that you're in. Yeah, it makes total sense. And I'm a real fan of demonstrating ROI, Yeah, you know, actual figures and numbers and sentiments whether things have increased or not and having some kind of yes score or level is really helpful for internal communications and and often it's boiled down to which I don't particularly like when 
an annual employee engagement survey sure. and they'll, they'll say well yeah. did the measure of whether you've done your job well is how well they answer these two questions on comms yeah. <laughs> and, if, and if they happen yeah. to be in a bad mood that day then that's you finished oh, oh i know and the emphasis on these annual surveys yeah, is just crazy. insane because it's so subjective you know mm -hmm. we've all filled in this service when we've been really miffed off and yeah. I can tell you right now, if I'm not in a good place, I am not going to be marking no, that survey exactly. in a positive light. Yeah. yeah any on action planning after these surveys without any, you know, once a year, you know, it's not healthy at all. And times, you know, times have changed in recent months, especially yeah. with COVID-19 and priorities have changed and the way people work have changed and mm. everything's different. And those kind of traditional methods of measuring engagement and how people are feeling in your organization and i never say measuring happiness either right because mm -hmm. happiness is another thing that's really subjective and you as a communications function even as an organization cannot be solely responsible for bringing happiness no, you can't but you can you can it's about empowering and the platform to be innovative so they bring their best self to work right mm -hmm. and we're not talking about them walking in, high-fiving and being extremely happy. It's about, are they actually satisfied? Yeah. Are they bringing their best selves? Are they performing? Are they developing and growing in the organization? Are they adding value? You know, do they know what they're there to do? That's more important than looking at like happiness indexes and, you know, it all plays a big part, but I've seen people kind of talk about my role is to make people happy. Mm, I would say your role is probably not to make people happy because that's a fairly impossible task. <laughs> mm, exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I agree with you 100% on that. And it sort of reminds me of engagement, actually. And, you know, I don't talk about engagement that much because it's not in of itself. It means very little. It's all the things that you can do to increase engagement and to facilitate engagement that are important. So I very rarely talk about engagement per se. Obviously, my podcast is called Engagement Express, but I focus on the things that will actually move the engagement dial during these conversations. So from your perspective, because you're such a stalwart of the industry, I'm really keen to know what you feel are the pillars of engagement and the things that you would advise be done first and foremost to get the engagement dial going in the right direction? Definitely giving people an opportunity to have a two-way conversation. We talk about this a lot, right? You know, if people feel like they're not being heard and they're not being listened to, you're going to lose them straight away. And I've worked in organisations where we've been quite heavy, top down, you know, with this is what we're doing, this is how we're doing it. And sometimes the opportunity to feed back up the channel is not there mm. and you kind of lose them. And nobody wants to be treated like a number or a machine. Yeah. And we need to remember that we're not in school anymore. We're talking to adults. These are human beings where we're actually, you know, that they probably know more than the senior leader in terms of how the business works. Mm. So, you know, let's be respectful and let's ask them a question and give them an opportunity to feed back up the channel. So two-way comms for me is very important when it comes to engagement. And alongside that, line manager comms. And this is, I don't know about UK, this is a topic that has been yeah, on many, <laughs> many agendas for many years. And we've had debates and conversations and we, yeah. talk, and we still haven't kind of solved we haven't. whatever this <laughs> might be. You know, 
magic pill is to kind of solve this line manager comms but these line managers are our kind of friend and foe Mm. (laughs) i would say for internal comms yeah we are heavily dependent on these individuals to work with us to make sure that you know the messaging in the business is being communicated effectively across the way and if line managers are not having or don't have the skills to do that then it can make our life very very difficult the line manager comms is a big big one for me in terms of making sure that we have you know the right tools in place for them the right support functions in place for them we're having the conversations and getting to know them you know as an internal comms person our role is I love um, neuroscience, I love people, I love psychology, and I love all of that. And my big thing is trying to understand how a line manager kind of works, you know, yeah. what are their strengths. Many times these people have been promoted because of their technical skills, yeah. not necessarily people skills. And it's not for the one, you know, and I would say 99% of the time, people are not mean by purpose. Do you know what I mean? It's because... Yeah. They feel vulnerable if they don't know something, so they turn the other way and become a bit tough or they don't say the right thing or they panic or they don't know how to address it or they've got the fear of looking stupid. So another book recommendation I'm going to give here is Brené Brown. I know, Um, Brené Brown. I listen to her podcast. Honest, that woman is... Unlocking Us. Yes, Unlocking Us podcast. Did you hear her interview with um, Tarana Burke? Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Did you hear that she did a fantastic one on grief as well? No, I've not. Heard, uh, I I've heard seen it in one. her list, but I've not listened to it. The grief one was just after COVID lockdown, I think. Right. And she had the guy who worked with Elizabeth Culver-Ross, you know, the, from the change curve, the grief oh, yes. curve. The guy who worked with Elizabeth Culver-Ross on it. And he spoke about grief and how it kind of aligns with what we're going through right now. That was a fascinating, fascinating conversation. Yeah, brilliant. And yeah, so she's a brilliant woman, but her book i don't know if you've read it dare to lead um, i've heard of it but i've not a, read it a, i've heard again audible big audible fan if you can't tell yeah. i've heard her <laughs> narrate it obviously an audible and yeah. i've read the book as well and i've also done the workshop as well so she, she does a workshop for dare to lead to kind of go into more detail mm. but in this book she talks about leaders obviously and she talks about vulnerability and she talks about shame and she talks about the barriers facing leaders in bringing them them kind of whole self yeah. into the organization and sometimes that can be detriment to them as well as leaders. I mean, it's a fantastic book and it's full of tips and advice on how to manage leaders and how to manage, you know, line managers and how to have these conversations and talking about, you know, values and rumbles and all sorts of fantastic book. And I highly recommend it. But those are the kind of two, I mean, I know there's more. And if anyone's read the, remember the white paper in on engagement that was done by... Yeah, um, Clark and Sir David... Uh, yeah. Yes, funny enough, it's 10 years ago that now, or maybe even 12, 12 yeah, years ago. 2008. If look, yeah, if you look, how much has not moved on mm-hmm. <laughs> from those four recommendations that, you know, the four recommendations that they yeah. gave. And I just think we haven't moved on since that white paper. Yeah. And you need to kind of question why, why? right? Why have we not moved on? What is yeah. going on? Why are we having the same conversations? And mm-hmm. this is the reason I kind of created Comms Rebel, I suppose. And I debated a long time whether having the word rebel in my business name was going to be the right move. Yeah. Or whether I was kind of, you know, cause a stink, I suppose, with it. Because it's such an emotive word, a rebel. But for me, it was all about, look, we've done the same of the same for a long time. It's time to kind of revolutionize the way we work mm. and, and how we work and the way we communicate. And that's why I'm so, you know, with my clients and the people that I work with on a one-to-one basis, I always kind of talk 
it's about being different and stepping out of that, you know, that box that you might have got yourself into and, and taking risks that you haven't taken before. Because if you want engagement and empowerment to change in your business and it hasn't changed for a number of years, you're going to have to start doing some things differently. And sometimes that is going to have to take a bit of gutso and a different thinking to get there. But yeah, those those are kind of my two key areas, I would say. The two yeah, and, and I love those. And, and that really marries up with my thinking as well. So just to paraphrase you, you talked about two-way communication and I'm particularly keen on two-way communication between very junior and very senior employees. I've done that in a few of my roles and it's worked very well and people manager enablement, facilitating them to yes. be the best they can. I agree with you on that. I've written many articles about people managers and they are the holy grail of internal communication and engagement. So <laughs> that's a group we have really to are. work on much more. We do. Um, I think that's do fantastic. Need to work on them. So what's next for you then, Advita? You are flying high at the moment. Oh, uh, thank you. Well, thanks, Kate. I mean, the next thing for me is I'm working on a new program called A Leader Like Me. So we kind of, you know, we spoke about it earlier on this podcast about diversity and inclusion and people of colour, but and particularly women of colour. So A Leader Like Me is a program that I have developed with a fantastic internal communicator based in Canada called Priya Bates. And Priya has been somebody that I have been kind of following for a very long time, but I connected with her properly about a couple of years ago. And then I met her in real life when I went to a world conference last year in Vancouver. And we just connected, you know, we're both South Asian women, we're both working in internal comms. There are not many of us out there, to be honest. Yeah. So we connected and we really kind of had the same values and the same beliefs and the same experience as well. And it was during one of our conversations, we both realized we had the same ambitions and the same dream to create a platform where women of color who may be struggling with leadership position or aspiring leaders or even those who aren't as leaders, sorry, to give them a bit of a boost with the community. So A Leader Like Me is a, a community for women of colour to get together, to lean on each other, to inspire each other. And Priya and I, alongside that, will be delivering 12 30-minute workshops on key topics like imposter syndrome, like courageous conversations, like purpose and motivation, to hopefully help these women and people in the group to fly, take flight themselves, you know, and get out there and have those courageous conversations around their wages and you know promotions and get around that boardroom table and it's not only for communications to be honest communicator sorry it's for anyone in yeah. any industry as such as any woman of color in any industry who just wants to have that additional support and a guiding hand and we've said women of color at the moment you know we're testing out we're working with the people that we we can relate to i should say you know as both of us being women of color who knows what the future may hold for that? We're hoping we can expand on it and make it more inclusive with other with sexuality and gender as well. Yeah. And we'll just see how it kind of goes. But I'm really, really excited by it. It's different from internal comms, obviously. So, it's, you know, it's one of the purpose that I set my own business, actually, so I could do different things. Mm. So, yeah, so that kicks off next week, which is the 24th of, well, next week for us will be 24th of July. So it's probably already kicked off by the time this uh, podcast is published. But nice. we're very yeah. excited. Yeah, it's a pilot and the hard launch will be in September. 
so yeah so we're, we're, this is that kind of my next big thing well that is so exciting and i have no doubt i have followed myself priya bates online for a few years and she's very inspirational as are you yeah. so i think it will be a real powerhouse collaboration and i i really wish you all the best of luck with your pursuits and i'm hoping very much to collaborate with you more going forward but, you know, for the meantime, I really appreciate your time. And thank you so much for being a guest on Engagement Express. Thank you, Kay. And again, I'm pretty certain we'll definitely be collaborating again in the future. And thank <laughs> you will. for asking me and asking me to be part of this amazing podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Engagement Express. It's great to hear from Advita and to get her take on dealing with imposter syndrome and also on how to challenge respectfully the organisation you work for in regard to developing authentic internal communication strategies that really will help to support engagement. I hope you enjoyed the journey as much as I did. Join me in two weeks for the next episode. Reach out to me and let me know what you think or if you'd like to work with me further, at katerciche at wheretolookcoms.co.uk or via LinkedIn at kateaciche, that's I-S-I-C-H-E-I. I would absolutely love to hear from you. And remember, opportunities to engage are everywhere. You just need to know where to look. <music>